Hi, and welcome back to A Pagan Heart in Maine. On today's episode, we'll have another segment of Ask Grey Wolf and a book review. Today's music is special, and I'll explain why at the end of the program. Tell me a tale so beautiful that the stars will strain to hear. The stories to be told, my child, are not for you to fear. Sing me a city of cinnamon, sing me a manticore song. I will give you beads of amber and feathers all of gold. stars with no one to tell her her name red in her cloak as a winter sun she wanders not entirely tame are ye a child of stars dead and dying brought here from afar with worlds of fate upon your eyes and sorrow in your heart sing me a tale so beautiful that the stars will strain to hear The stories to be told, my love, are not for you to fear. Sing me a city of cinnamon, sing me a manticore song. I will give you beads of amber and a feather cloak of gold. Threading her cloak as a winter sun, a daughter of dying stars. Worlds are made upon her eyes and sorrow. The stories to be told, my love, are not for you to fear. Does it not seem strange to us to talk by first light instead of last? The stars keep watch, the living, dead, and dying. Diamonds now to folk you've never known. The tale you fear to end is just beginning. Hand in hand with solace, with a firebird at her back, a gin and a grandmother at her side, a sister's cloak of feathers wrapped around her ear at last. Her mother walks the lonely shore and cries Tell me a tale so beautiful that the stars will strain to hear The song you fear to end is just beginning So sing me a city of wishes and fire, sing me a traveling song I will give you a of wonder 
Adventures in Roller Skating The scene is a large roller skating rink. Carpet-covered walls and half-wall dividers surrounding a hardwood floor with disco lights. Many people skating around in a circle. And the time is 1980, and I was about to have my first whirlwind romance. But first I should introduce you to the roller skating scene of the late 1970s and early 80s. First, we didn't have inline skates or heel skates that the kids are fond of today. We had real skates. These were lace-up boots with four wheels set at the corners so they looked like little cars. And the moment you strapped these contraptions onto your feet, gravity was no longer your friend. Learning to skate. Most people start with the spider walk. This is where you enter the rink and cling to the wall like a spider and slowly pull yourself around. Once you have that mastered, you move on to the Frankenstein. This is where you hold your arms straight out in front of you and slowly clomp your feet trying to get your wheels rolling. This leads to the zombie. This is where your arms are straight out in front of you and your legs are straight, but at least you're rolling. And then there are several other steps which I never mastered, but once you do master those, voila, you're skating like an Olympic champion. Learning to stop is a whole nother set of disciplines. There is the simple drop dead move. This is where you fall, plain and simple. You're skating along and boom, you drop like a rock. The people behind you, however, will not be impressed and will show their displeasure by running into you at breakneck speed. The key word here is breakneck. Then you have the stripper pole technique. This is where you're going around the rink and you reach out and grab hold of one of the poles supporting the ceiling, spinning you around the pole several times, and what you have to do is hold on to it as if your very life depends on it. It usually does. Then you have the simple wall splat. This is where instead of turning, you drive your body straight into a wall. It helps to spread your legs and arms out as far as you can, so when the wall hits you, you spread the pain evenly. A similar move is the windshield move. This is where you aim for the wall that has the half wall, half plexiglass. This gives an incredible show to the people on the other side of the glass as you hit the wall like a bug against the windshield of a car. Then there's the Olympic dismount. This is when you run yourself into one of the half walls. It's a bonus if you've built up a lot of speed for this one. As you hit the half wall, your body is bent in half and you go flying head over heels onto the other side, saving you the trouble of actually leaving the rank of your own volition. Then there's the unexpected stop. This is where you accidentally touch your skates together and they instantly stop, while the rest of your body makes a 90 degree turn straight into the hardwood floor. Eep! Whap! Unless you're fat, in which case you end up like a stone being skipped along a lake. Eep! Whap! 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 Until you hit a wall or another skater. And that brings me to a technique that I almost perfected. And I call this the misery likes company move. Simply put, you reach out to one of your fellow skaters for help. And what I mean by that, you reach out and cling to him like a drowning man to a piece of driftwood. Taking you and him down and using the poor unfortunate driftwood 
as a cushion to keep you from going whap, 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 whap. That brings me to how I was introduced to my first brief encounter with true love. Instead of learning how to skate well, I learned how to skate fast. And it was while skating fast that I noticed this beautiful blonde crossing the rink to go get a soda. She was going fast and at a perfect right angle to the direction I was going. I made some quick calculations in my head and realized in a moment that we were destined to meet. I knew it was true love when her eyes met mine and came to the same conclusion. It's amazing how the realization of true love looks a lot like total panic and terror on the woman's face. And then we met. Our left arms hooked each other and we spun. And like the blades of a helicopter, our legs went straight out and our love lifted us off the ground and we landed. Whap, 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 whap. It was as if the whole world froze around us and we were the only two people in the world. Some say it was a concussion, but I disagree. Alas, our time together was short-lived, for you see, my heart was a sailing ship full of love, and her heart was an iceberg floating on the ocean of life. She laughed, got up, and disappeared into the crowd. And as my heart sank in those frigid waters, and as I sat there, the people kept skating around me. This is the world, and each of us is trying to keep our balance. Each of us find things to hang on to. We learn to skate. If we stop, the world keeps going around us. Sometimes people crash into us and we fall. And sometimes we trip ourselves up. But it's what we do after we fall that's important. So I got up. I smiled and laughed at myself. And I started skating around again to see who I'd meet around the next corner. Secret songs. 
Today's Ask Ray Will question comes from T.J. Hayes, and he asks, Does the pagan community promote, dissuade, or are they nonpartisan about the concept of filial piety, which I see not just as the children's duty to parents, but as every family member's duty to each other, e.g. children to parents, parent to children, extended family to immediate family, and immediate family to extended family. Now, some of you may already be familiar with the concept of filial piety, and if you had the chance to listen to Mojo and Sparrow over at the Wiggly and Way this past week, they answered the question as well. And then there are a few of you out there who are going, what type of pie? So in a nutshell, filial piety is an Eastern philosophical concept dealing with honoring and respecting your elders and also ancestral worship. It's a key virtue in Chinese culture and Confucianism. So, does the pagan community promote filial piety? In my opinion, yes. And at the very least is nonpartisan on the issue. And here's why. From a strictly cultural standpoint, I believe all cultures instill in their community a sense of filial piety. And I might even go so far as to say that cultures that don't hold respect for the elders and family and community do not survive long. In religion, you see many archetypes of the goddess and god as compared to mother and father. And where much of paganism today draws from earlier cultures, I'd say the easy answer is yes. Yet I would like to take it a step further and expand on how that might apply to us today in our own lives. Since I have listeners who follow different paths, I'm going to keep the particulars of ancestral worship to a minimum and focus more on the actions within a living family structure. Just know that many of the concepts and duties of filial piety can be applied to deity and ancestors as well. And since I do have an international audience, I am coming from an American Northeast point of view, and my point of view may not apply in your culture. So let's look at filial piety as it applies to children, to parents. Your parents gave you life, 
and we all enter this world weak and helpless. This alone is a reason to respect and honor your parents. I believe in synchronicity, and I believe that everything has reason even if we don't understand. You do not choose where you are born. You do not choose your station in life. You do not choose whether you're male or female. You do not choose what color your skin is, what religion your parents follow, or who your parents even are. We do not come out of the womb and turn around and look at the goofy people looking back at us and say to the doctor, oh, no, 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 this isn't going to work at all. You have got to do a lot better than this or you might as well just stick me right back in. It doesn't work that way. What does work is know that you are born for a reason and for whatever that reason is, you have the parents you have. So let's look at a couple of common examples and even difficulties you may come across as a pagan. The question, what if my dad is an abusive drunk who beats me and my mom? How do I respect and honor him? First of all, no one should live in an abusive situation, ever. You have to do everything you can to get out of that situation. There are shelters, you can talk to school officials, talk to the police. There is no reason to ever have to put up with abuse of any kind. Getting back to the question, people are in our lives for reasons. Always remember that. Every person you meet, even if it's the person in the grocery line, is there for a reason. But it is our reactions and how we handle the situation that makes the difference. If you're in this situation, I cannot tell you what to do or not to do, uh, whether legally or what to do to get out of the situation. Only you know the particulars of your personal situation, and I don't want to make your circumstances worse than what they already are. Just know to get whatever help you can. But you can still bring honor to the table within your own life and your family. You want to honor your drunken dad? Then don't become a drunk like your dad. Some people are put in our lives to give us examples of how to live our lives. And then there are some who are put there to show us how not to live our lives. And it's easy to grow up and do exactly what your dad did and then say, I am the way I am because of my dad. That's a cop-out. You honor your family in this situation by not becoming like your father. You restore the honor lost and your ancestors will be proud. Everyone has struggles and many of us have childhoods that are far less than spectacular. How we handle them makes all the difference. And if you persevere, you may find later in life the hell that you survived may help others avoid the hell you went through. Here's another common one. My parents are Christians and forbid me for being pagan. I think they hate me. How can I respect or honor them? In American culture, the age of adulthood is 18. Until that time, you're bound by the rule of your parents. If you are a young pagan living in a Christian home, you have a duty to obey your parents. I know that sucks, and in our American culture, that goes against everything MTV tells you, but hear me out. If anyone, friends, spiritual leaders, coven leaders, elders, ever tell you to go against your parents, you run as far away and never talk or see them again. They do not have anything good to offer you. So how do you honor your family's wishes? First of all, if you are a pagan, then you are a pagan. And many people discover this about themselves in their teen years, and you do not need to wear pentagrams and black clothes to show that. 
So you have at the very most six years of your life that you're still under your parents' rule. Respect that. Your parents are given a duty to raise you the best they can, and that usually involves sharing their faith, and even though it may not be yours, honor that. And even though you are pagan, you can still learn lessons of faith and spirituality in your parents' church that will apply to your own life and spiritual path. Use the time as an opportunity to learn. There is truth to be found in all paths. Find it, and you may find that you you will enjoy searching for the truth. When you turn 18 and are out on your own, then take the lessons learned and make them your own. That doesn't mean that the minute you turn 18 you shove your paganism in your parents' face either. That's not honoring or respecting them. So now let's look at filial piety as it applies to parents to children. Parents, your children are a part of you. In them is your blood, the blood of your father and of your grandfather. You have an incredible responsibility to raise up this child. The lessons you instill in your child will be what you will leave behind in this world. You honor your child by being a good role model and teacher. They may rebel against you as they get older, but that's the way the system works. Be strong, be helpful, be honest, and they will remember that. That is honor, showing your child what it means to be a member of your family and helping them as they become an adult. Regardless of what you tell your child, they will follow you by your actions. Respect their independence, but don't let them control the house. Remember that you are the parent. Let them ask questions. Give them good answers. Let them learn to walk through life. You watched a child as he learned to crawl. You saw him hold on to things and pull himself up. When they fall, you pick them up, but you don't tell them to never walk again. Life is the same way. As they grow, they learn to walk through relationships, through school, through jobs, stumbling and falling all the way. Respect that this is how they learn. Let them fall, but be there to lend a hand if they want it. They will be stronger, and they will respect you more than any strict disciplinarian could ever hope. Extended family to immediate family, and immediate family to extended. There was a time in our society when the rule was each took care of their own, meaning that generations of family would live life together by attached farms, and that the youngers would take care of their elders. Our society has lost most of this, and somewhere I think we have lost the closeness that family brings. And with it, we have lost a lot of the lessons of generations that have come before us. I think that this is a reason why paganism is one of the fastest growing paths of faith today. It offers a chance to reconnect with the earth, with deity, to gain that closeness that has been lost. Filial piety means to me for today the same. A chance to reconnect with family, with tribe, to regain that closeness and that trust as parent, as child, to those who have gone on before us and to those who will come after we leave. I am the firebird, I am his daughter. I am the firebird, I am his daughter, and like the flame I am wild, 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 wild.
As you know, there are some wonderful pagan podcasts out there, and I just want to give a quick shout-out to my fellow podkin. You are all great, and you make the miles go by quicker while driving over these New England roads. And if you want to hear some great pagan podcasts, you can head over to my website, www.paganheartandmain.com, and you'll see a list of links on the right-hand side of the page. And there's also a link at the top of the page for Podcasts for the Pagan Heart.
Easter ride to the dog's head held high Rejoice in the scent of the sea on the air For a seafaring satyr must never despair A seafaring satyr must never despair Oh, oh Now I've the power of leaving And I'm leaving on every wave Oh, I am leaving on every Well, I'm going to call this episode 11, but before I leave, I have a book review. And actually, it's more of a review of a couple people. A storyteller and a song weaver. The storyteller is Catherine Valente, and the books are called The Orphan's Tales. Book one is In the Night Garden. The second is In the Cities of Coin and Spice. The story is Benny's stories, told from a young girl's view with magic written in her eyes. But it's more than that. Catherine gives you a look into another world, fairy tales of such power that takes you away and brings you to places of wonder and fantasy. Now, sometimes I have a hard time finding the right words to say, so I thought about how I could introduce you to these wonderful books. And that's how today's program came about. You see, you've already been introduced. All of the songs on today's episode are inspired by... The Orphan's Tales, and are performed by a song weaver I had the privilege of meeting last year named S.J. Tucker. She is a wonderful folk singer and songwriter. She paints landscapes with her music, and then with a childlike heart, takes your hand and walks with you through the magic she creates. Today you met Sorrow, the child of dying stars. You heard a manticore's lullaby. You heard of Solace, the child of a firebird and the song of a seafaring satyr. They are from S.J. Tucker's albums For the Girl in the Garden and Solace and Sorrow, songs and selected readings from the Orphan's Tales. And today, we're going to end the program where their story begins, with the girl in the garden. Bright blessings. I am not afraid of you. The boy stood his ground, but his voice broke hoarsely. The girl continued to stare at him while the willow trees wavered in the east wind. When she spoke, her voice was the low hum of cicadas in the far misted hills. Why not? I'm very brave. One day I will be a great general and wear a scarlet cloak. At this there was almost a smile on the girl's pale lips. And you have come to slay the great girl demon who haunts the garden, she whispered throatily. Oh, no, I... The boy spread his hands, feeling suddenly that he had shown very bad form somewhere along the way. No one has spoken so many words to me since I saw the winter snows through a warm window draped in furs. The girl stared again, impossibly still. She seemed to leave the boy, though her body remained. All at once, a tiny light stole through her dusky eyes, and she seemed to make a decision within herself. 
Shall I tell you the truth, then? Tell you my secret? Her voice had gone so quiet it was almost without breath. I asked, didn't I? I can keep secrets. My sister says I'm very good at it, like the king of the thieves in the nursery story. There was another long silence, as though midnight had stolen the sun. And the girl began to speak very softly, almost afraid to hear her own voice. On an evening when I was a very small child, an old woman came to the great silver gate, and twisting her hands among the rose roots, told me this. I was not born with this mark. A spirit came into my cradle on the seventh day of the seventh month of my life, and while my mother slept in her snow-white bed, the spirit touched my face and left there many tales and spells, like the tattoos of sailors. The verses and songs were so great in number and so closely written that they appeared as one long, unbroken streak of jet on my eyelids. But they are the words of the river and the marsh, the lake and the wind. They comprise a great magic, and when the tales are all read out and heard end to shining end to the last syllable, the spirit will return and judge me. After the old woman vanished into the blue-faced night, I spent each day hidden in a thicket of jasmine and oleander, trying to read what I could in my bronze mirror, or in the reflections of the garden pools. But it is difficult. I must read them backwards, and I can only read one eye at a time. She stopped, and the last was no louder than a spider weaving its opaline threads. There is no one to listen. The boy stared. He looked closely and could see wavering lines in the solid black of her eye-flesh, hints of alphabets and letters he could not imagine. The closer he looked, the more the shapes seemed to leap at him, clutch at him, until he was quite dizzy. He licked his lips. They were all whispers now, the two of them, conspirators and thieves. The other children had all gone, and they stood alone under the braided whips of a gnarled willow. Tell me... Tell me one of the tales from your eyelids, please. Just one. He was terrified that she would rebuke him and run, but she only continued to look at him with those strange, dark eyes. You are kind to me when no one else will come near, and my tales are all I have to give as thanks.
Judge her. 